The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. As we, as we go through this, as I told you, we have a reason for this. So I, the, real, the, the title is Immigration and the Good Samaritan. We're going to talk about that subject, but what is the biblical Christian response to this thing? Now, we've talked about immigration before, haven't we? We talked about how we should treat the foreigner. Well, <clears throat> what is really more what a response is today, I will say this, we live in a time where immigration talks or migrant talks, illegal or illegal immigration is talked about in the news and around um, and beyond. It's consistently out there. And of course, it you know, I know that y'all don't necessarily, we, most of us don't watch a lot of TV, um, but I have a lot of discussions around me on those things. And I have people who, who have different, um, not only different opinions, but they're they're, they consider themselves Christians, and really what I'm going to address today is is those who, when we call ourselves Christians, how we respond to something. So when I say the biblical Christian response, when we see that there to immigration, the biblical response to it, as Christians we should say, I want to know what God's Word says on this. Okay? And so... Um, of course, it's a topic that's highly political. Okay, what is? Does anybody know what politics or political means? What is politics? Huh? Has to do with some government stuff, but politicking is, and that is a word. Politicking is basically you you have people who are representatives who are representing what they call constituents, people who vote for them, right? And so, yes. Politicians. Politicians, politic. Okay? They want to get your vote, right? So they say things that you want to hear or things that you believe, possibly, right? Sometimes some will say things that you believe and you want to hear, and then they'll turn around and also say something that you don't believe. And so you have to make choices. Almost, I'm going to stop there. The average person has to make a choice based upon what they believe is the best decision. As Christians, we have to have a worldview that we make decisions through. Yet politics, I want to say this, of course, it's a topic that's highly politicized, and that to, to pander, which means to appeal to, okay, to appeal to the masses to get votes for a particular party or a candidate. Okay? Um... Yet politics are not a subject that's separate from the Christian life. Politics are not separate from our Christian life. Okay, we can't just say, obviously, ignore politics. Now, I'm one of the people who would say, listen, if I don't have a presidential candidate or I don't have a local candidate that I can vote for, I don't vote for any of them. And people were saying, that's a lost vote. No, it's not. I didn't lose a vote. I chose not to vote. And the reason why I chose not to vote is I can't vote in good conscience for someone who is not a righteous man or not a righteous woman and who want, who appeal to those things. So when we look at this, politics are 
are not something that's separate from Christian life. And like many other issues, there's no place for apathy or silence or neutrality when it comes to dealing with those issues. In a biblical view of immigration, this is where I start differently than most people. Even other Christians who are against illegal immigrants coming. Okay? I come and I start, a biblical view of immigration does not start with immigration policy. It starts with the immigrant. The person. A policy is an idea, right? So if I have an I have a I have a idea of way of thinking, right? That's a policy. It's a theory, right? It's an opinion. But an immigrant is what? It's a person, right? And if we have a biblical view of a person, we know that they are what? They are image bearers of God. God created them. So what does that mean? They have value. This is one of the things that we have to constantly explain and constantly get into in, in conversations. Even a lost person, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, who is pagan, is all get out. They still bear the image of God. He is their creator. So when we look on them, we don't look on people at any point in time, in any way, regardless of religion, regardless of those things, Regardless of uh, if they're pagans or not, if they're if they're what shade of, of brown their skin is, it doesn't matter. When we come to this place right here, we are going to judge it. We when we look at them, they are an image bearer of God. And my concern is not about policy or ideas. My concern constantly is what does God say about the person. And we're going to address a couple things quickly because I want to get to the main subject. Okay? I have to lay a little foundation because here's to answer some, some, some objections. So here's one thing. Firstly, tonight on your, on your notes, there is one law for God's people and for the foreigner. There's one law for God's people and the foreigner. And I'm going to read a couple of places in, in Old Testament that talks about this, okay? There's one law for God's people and the foreigner. All right, he says in Exodus chapter 12, this will be back up in a second. In Exodus chapter 12, he says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is a statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. Now listen carefully, because a lot of people just look at this and listen, they don't hear all of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. And you're like, okay, it said it twice. Nobody, they can't eat of it. Of the Passover, what we consider has moved on in the fulfillment and the communion of the Lord's Supper, right? He goes, oh, listen, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bone. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Now, listen. If a stranger so sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised. Then he may come near it, and he shall be as a native of the land. 
but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Therefore, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. This is where we come to it. We, circumcision was a sign of the covenant of the people of God. Remember, remember that, okay? Baptism is a sign of covenant of the people of God with him, of people of God with him. And so as we look at this, there was one law. If they weren't circumcised, and that's why we say if someone's not baptized, someone's not been baptized by water, it's not my supper, it's the Lord's supper. And the same law applies. And so what I'm saying is there was one law for both the, what? For God's people and one law, the same law for the foreigner, right? So if they wanted to be a part of Passover, they wanted to, what do they do? They would covenant with God. They would take the covenant sign upon them. In Numbers, it says something separate. It's in Numbers 15. It says, Thus it shall be done for each bull or ram or each lamb or young goat, as many as you offer, so you shall do with each one, as many as there are. Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, in offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger is sojourning with you or anyone is living permanently among you and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to God, he shall do as you do. For the assembly... There shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Now I want you to understand this. This really throws out any idea that people talk about, and we're going to get to this in just a second. That this national Israel thing, they'll still talk about, listen... This whole thing about the foreigner, that was for the nation of Israel. We are not the nation of Israel. Listen, for the nation of Israel, it said that all these statutes, if they wanted to do these things, it was for them and for those outside the covenant normally, those who are not of Israel. So there were people, other people who were not Israelites, were not of the tribes, the 12 tribes, were allowed to participate in these things, if they did these such things, and they upheld the law of God and, and followed through. It wasn't just for a small group of people. It was for everybody. That's why, you remember in the book of Acts, and when they talk about Pentecost, and it says all those people of different languages came, all these Jews from all over the world, basically, and they heard it in their own language. You remember that part? Yeah, they said they were drunk, but he was like, no, 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 it's too early in the morning. For some people, maybe not, but it was, but they weren't drunk. What they were doing, everybody was hearing it in their own language, right? That's because there were converts to Judaism, converts to the Word of God, all over the world. They were former Gentiles, right? They weren't of the house of Israel. They were not of the twelve tribes. These were people who were converted, and so there was one law. For the people of God and the foreigner who dwelt among them. So it's very simple. It's a very simple aspect. This is not made, when we talk about this subject and we're going to get, it's not about foreigners, about Israel had these laws and so we have a different law. It's not about nationality. It's not about nationality. It's not about, listen, there are laws that the nation of the United States of America had made. We can't be lawbreakers. There's one law, and here's the problem that have people see, and that's why we're going to move to the second point. Go ahead and put it up there. 
identity as the people of God is not about nationality, but obedience to God's law word. By the way, the United States of America is not the people of God. And any laws and any laws that we make are not the very words of God. The very words of God are the very words of God. The very law word of God is a very law word of God. Identity is the people of God is not about nationality, but obedience to God's law word. Now, I would have someone probably turn around and call me a globalist instead of a nationalist, but I'm okay with that. Uh, I think of God's kingdom and not man's kingdom. In fact, we're told salvifically in John 10, 14 and 16, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Important to understand that when we talk about things, we are not talking about multiple peoples of God, multiple religions, multiple nationalities. We're talking about one people of God. Always has been, always will be. In fact, even in the book of Romans, in the book of Romans, uh, chapter eleven, Paul is writing. He says, "I asked him, has God rejected His people? By no means." He said, "I'm an Israelite." So when people talk about Christians or not, you know, about Israelites, how are they, they'll be saved separately or different? No. Think about all the apostles. Well, who are they? They were all Israelites, right? Paul says, no, I was an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And he goes on and says, so just, I'll read the whole thing. He says, don't you know that scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left, and they seek my life? But what was God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Now I want to stop there. He talks about who are the he talks about the about Israel and about how some of the until all the fullness of the Gentiles come in then then uh, and all this stuff but then you think that it's it's not two salvations God is one people God has one people of God he's he has some of the Israelites will be saved and people are like well what well who's Israel you have to know who Israel is according to the context and I always go back into Romans. Because he does tell us, Paul tells us who he's talking about when he talks about Israel. Look at chapter 9. But it's not as the word of God has failed, verse 6 through 13 and 27. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. 
And he goes on, he says, And not all children of Abraham are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Do y'all remember how many times that the, that the Jews would look at Je- Jesus and say, we are, Our father is Abraham. And remember the time he said, Your father's not Abraham, it's a devil. Because you don't do what Abraham did. Abraham rejoiced. It's rejoiced at seeing of my day. Has seen it. That's what Jesus told them. And they wanted to stone him for that one. But he's, he says this means it's not the children of the flesh. It's not about nationality. It's not about bloodlines. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. He goes on later, he says, and I underline these things on purpose, verse 27, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Listen, it's not about the salvation of a nation. It's always been about the people of God. Whether they're Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, God has chosen and set apart His people for His purpose. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about this as a mystery. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is this. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he sets this whole thing aside. There's one law of God for one law for God's people and the foreigner. There's one people of God. It's not about, it's never been about nationality. Never been about nationality. It's always been about obedience to God's word. B, on letter B, we are not to be motivated by fear of man or the auspices of security from men, but love for God and His commands. This is going to set, this right here sets the complete foundation for what we're going to talk to finish the message in just a moment. We are not to be motivated by fear or the auspices of security by men, from men, but love for God and His commands. I am not worried about evil that could come along with other immigrants. I don't fear much in my life. If I do, it's temporary. Why is that? Let's look at why scripture. Why we should not worry about what should happen. Matthew chapter 10. Y'all have heard me quote this recently, and I'll quote it, and then I'm going to move on to a couple others. So have no fear of them. Don't have fear of men. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And... Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, 
and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We don't fear men. One, one, we don't fear men because they can only destroy the body. They can't destroy the soul. But we fear God and God alone because He can both destroy body and soul in hell. But here's the other thing. Nothing happens apart from the sovereign hand and will of God. So men can threaten your life, but they can't take your life apart from God allowing it. That's why you should always remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in the fiery furnace and not bowing down. Because it didn't matter. Even if they died, they bring glory to God. If God, it got, At the same time, God can rescue them. And He did rescue them out of the burning furnace. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6-7 says, For this reason I remind you, he tells Timothy, to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God didn't give us a spirit of what? He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power and love and self-discipline. That's why, that's why we, we need to not fear men. We need to not worry about, about our safety, but we need to love have a love for God and His commandments. We need to have... He gives us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline, self-control, self-government. Romans 8 tells us... We sing a song. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We sing a song called More Than Conquerors. Go on to verse 37, Grace. Nothing, because we need to understand, nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. No, no tribulation, no hardships, no famine, nothing. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. So we don't fear. Don't ever allow yourself... And especially when we talk about this subject, we ought not to be in fear of man. We ought not to be, be afraid of whether we're protected or not. But we need to focus on how we love God and how we love His commands and how we make Him known. That love is important. The love is very important. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, it talks a lot about this love. If y'all let me read it to you, you'll understand why we're, what we're talking about and where it comes from. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we ha will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. We shall be see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. 
Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this is evident, it is evident who the children of God are. Listen carefully. And who the children are the de- of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one that does not love his... What does it say? Brother. Hold on to that word. Okay? Brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love who? One another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. And what did he do? He murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he, in Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, I put this in bolds on mine, let us not love in word or talk, but what? But in deed and in truth. That means in action. Is this love have anything to do with the with the individual before us? Does it say, is it giving us any clarification or saying specification specific things that you love people if they do certain things? No, it doesn't say that. It's this last part, this last thing we just read, he says, anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. And does nothing. Closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? We love by taking action. By this we shall know that we are the truth and reassured our hearts before him. He goes on, he says, uh, And whatever we ask we receive from him because his, we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the, his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as He's commanded us. Whoever com- keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. Excuse me. It's important. This is a transition, okay? So if someone hates his brother, he's not in Christ. He's not in God. If he sees a brother in need and does not act according to the ability, act, what is it? God's love doesn't abide in him. If God's love doesn't abide in us, it's saying something. I'm going to get to that at the very end of the message. 
So here, here we go. The Good Samaritan is to be applied to immigration. Well, we haven't talked about the Good Samaritan yet, have we? All this, and I'm going to say this, I don't call it a story. I know it's a parable. A parable is, they would say, is a, a story that has an application to life. It has an immediate, and it's a real thing. Some parables, are they take a real life thing, and they use it to apply to put it into our life perspective. So we're going to read it, and then I want to identify some things, and then we're going to have some fun. We're going to have interaction a little bit, okay? You ready? Do y'all know the story? Okay, so here's a story. Sorry, don't, don't back it up. Let's leave it. You can leave it there. All right, you can't really see that. I will. I want to. I, I included this. Okay. So this week, when I saw an article with a headline extending zero tolerance to people who who help migrants on the border, it is now a by a stroke of a pen is a jailable offense. One man is facing 26 years in prison for leaving food and water supplies along the border for illegal immigrants coming across. 26 years in prison is what they're looking at giving him. Because he left water he was for someone who might be coming. When those who proclaim, and I'm going to say this, I came to the conclusion that we are dealing with, what we're dealing with is people, leaders, and a nation that is... I, I'm using the word humanistic. That means they they deal with everything in their own. They view everything through themselves. They're humanistic rather than righteous. But I'm going to say this. I believe it's pure evil. And this is why. When those who proclaim they are pro-life, for life of babies, or abolitionists regarding abortion, are the ones who make it unlawful to protect and sustain life of those image bearers coming to our country, whether considered legal or illegal, they are more than just hypocrites. Remember when I told you that we politic and pander to gather the attention of voters? Isn't it interesting that the very people who, are, who say they're for saving the lives of babies in the womb are against saving the lives of those who are crossing to come for other, many other reasons, whether legal or illegal, they don't care if they survive or not. The parable of the Good Samaritan is something we must heed. So look what the, look the parable. The, I, that little that little thing is is just there for my sake. That's a that's actually the article that if you link to it. So go to the next slide. It says this: A lawyer stood up. Now, that's a joke in itself today's time, but a lawyer stood up. Sorry, Miss Jerry. Um, a lawyer stood up to put him to test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And what does he say? Well, what does the law say? And the man says, Well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind, and, and you love your neighbor as yourself. He said, And you've answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. But that he didn't leave it there, did he? He said... Desiring to justify himself, he asked Jesus, he says, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? 
See, when I talk about loving our brothers, you know what the first thing I hear from Christians is? Who are my brothers? Did that scripture anywhere say, love only your Christian brothers and sisters? No. That word is brethren. It means those who are like you. What that means is humankind, people. He says, who's my neighbor? Seeking to justify himself. Because you know what? The reality is, he, he understands what the law says. He knows, he knows how to do in word and talk. Remember, loving in word and talk. But deed and action, deed and truth, he doesn't know how to do it. So he tries to justify himself, and Jesus tells this parable. He says, as a man was going along the road, what happened? Robbers come in, right? Going from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers who stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And then what happens? A priest, by chance, comes by, was going down the road. He saw him. He passed on the other side. He, he saw him, and he went to the other side of the road and kept going. So likewise, a Levite, people who keep the house of God, did the exact same thing. But they use this, Jesus uses this, this parable. He says, but then a Samaritan came along. Samaritans were like half-breeds. What they meant is they're, they're people who were intermarrying and doing things that they weren't supposed to. So they were despised by the Jews. Okay, But he uses this context. He says, so a Samaritan comes by. What happens? And he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, a hotel, and took care of him. The next day he took out money, about two days' wages, two denarii, a day's wage each day, two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, and whatever you, more you spend, I will repay you when, you come, when I come back. Then Jesus turns to this lawyer, and he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he didn't say the Samaritan. What does he say? The one who had mercy. The one who showed him mercy. So I want you to think about in this parable. There's five groups here, all right? You have what? You have the robbers. You have the victim, right? You have the priest. You have the Levite. And you have the Good Samaritan. All right, so I'm going to give you some scenarios. You hear, you know what, all, all, what each played a part in, right? I want you to think through this process, and I'm going to change it up a little bit, okay? So, here's scenario number one. Let's bring it up into today's time. There's a carjacker. You know what a carjacker is? Someone who comes by force and takes someone's car, right? Robs them. There's the victim, the local citizen, the passer through. He could be just driving through a town. He gets, he gets pulled over. Someone does something. They carjack them. They take them over. They beat them up. They take their car. Leave them for dead. Right? So, 
a local pastor comes by driving and he sees the person lying on the side of the road and he's busy. He has other things to do, so he moves on over, passes around him, doesn't run over him, just leaves him. You know, somebody else will take care of this and goes on the way. Then, maybe the local Christian, local one of somebody else, they, they you know, they, they just got, the guy got done with church and this person's laying on the side of the road, they just got done with church and, but you know what, they got to get to lunch, they have a family outing they got to, so they just, for whatever reason, pass on by. Well, the, the, I use this all the time. So, the Mexican man, the legal immigrant, rides up on a bicycle and sees him. And takes him, takes him up, covers, takes the shirt off their own back, covers them up because they've been robbed and left naked and for dead. Covers them up, brings them and gets them care. Now, a lot of people don't like it when I say, the illegal immigrant, and so if someone doesn't like me to say that, I say, well, okay, the Muslim, local Muslim comes by and does it. And they get even more pissed off, okay? You know why? Because the people that they despise the most are the ones who will take the time. That was the point of Jesus' his, his parable. Okay? I'm giving you an example here of how it could happen today. And you might say, well, the local church person, the local pastor, I'll guarantee but if someone's if someone is just too busy. But here's another scenario. And I want to th I want you to think through this aspect. And this is what we're dealing with with immigration. Okay? So you have a so the robber the robber in this story let me use um, a foreign government or as we say in South America and Mexico or so, the drug cartels. You know what a cartel is? They're, they're, they're basically big gangs, of, big gangs of people that run and smuggle drugs. And they kill people and do all kinds of things, horrible things to the families. And they enslave these people to make them grow their drugs and bring their drugs and ship them and do all kinds of stuff. Okay, So let's say these, there's the robbers who are stealing people and making them be slaves. They're... There are foreign governments that are, are, are taking all, all everything away from them. Um, they, they have nothing for themselves. They have no money. They can't take care of their families. There's nothing that they can do. And you have that. that. So the victim is this local, uh, instead is an immigrant or an asylum seeker. You have these big caravans of people walking and coming from South America and through and coming up through Mexico. And that's how we view it. And I want you to understand most people would not view it as a victim. They don't view them as victims. They see people who are wanting to come and take something from us. But so instead of it, so instead of the priest in this story, we have uh, the U.S. government or a political party who sees the need and does nothing. The Levite in this story might be the state of Texas who doesn't want them to come in or the Republican Party. And this is where it comes in. Who do you think the Good Samaritan should be? The individual. Okay, individual. That's right, Ramon Barkova. So who should be, according according to the Good Samaritan, who should be the good, I mean, this, this parable, who should be in this scenario 
the Good Samaritan? Is it just any individual? Huh? The Christian. You know why Christians should be? Because we are the ones who should have compassion. We are the ones who have been commanded to love God and His commands. And His commands is to what? You see a brother in need? You don't harden your heart toward them. But yet, I think as Jesus, remember back when the, they had the, they were meeting and the, and all the, and his disciples said, "Listen, it's late, it's late in the day, and um, you send the people back to the city." And Jesus looks out on the people and he says, he has his gut wrenched, he's he's moved with compassion, sickening compassion, and he looks at the people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? He didn't say, you know what, guys, you're right. We need to get them to the local towns. What does he say? You feed them. These are the leaders. These are going to be the leaders of, of, of the church when Jesus dies and is resurrected. These are the men, and he looks at them, and he didn't say, you know what, guys, ship them on down the road. No, he says, you feed them. You all know what the, you know what that next story is? It's a parable of what? It's not the parable, it's the story of what? Jesus feeds 5,000 with what? Some fish and a, loaf, and a couple loaves of bread, right? Five fish and two loaves, I think is what it was. Feeds 5,000 people. Because he knew he could, but he turned to them and said, you feed them. In this story, in this illustration, this scenario... The Christians should be the Good Samaritan. But here's what I think is going on. I'm not saying it's going on everywhere. And I'm going to come back to it, but listen carefully. Scenario number three. There's a foreign government that's oppressing the people, rounding them up and killing them. The victim, or the... the, uh, the, the the victim in this story, they're also immigrants and asylum seekers. The priest in this story is the U.S. government. When the people come seeking asylum, they turn them away. The Levite in this story is the citizens of the United States of America. Yet this isn't a story from right now. This is a story of our response to Jews seeking asylum from Germany and abroad during World War II when Hitler and his Nazi Germany was killing Jews and sending them to concentration camps to be gassed and be burned alive. Our government said, listen, we have a quota We've already received all the people from Germany we're going to receive this year, and they sent them back. And waiting for them at the ship dock was German soldiers, Nazi soldiers, who loaded them up on rail cars and sent them to the gas chambers to be killed. See, our country doesn't remember really well. And one of the greatest atrocities that we can think of 
is not only were over 6 million Jews murdered through Nazi Germany, we are responsible for sending many of them back to the slaughter. The Good Samaritan in that story is nobody because we had quotas to fill. And they had been filled. Christians just kept on living their lives. See, there, if, if there's ever a time that a government... is there, Let me ask you a question. Is there ever a time that a government is to play the Good Samaritan? I don't think so. Because God has never commanded governments... To look after the poor. He's always commanded whom? He's commanded the individual. He's even given us a ways to do it. And he even promises if we'll obey his commands when we do these things, he won't curse us, but he will bless us. And in that blessing, we always have more than enough to help the widow, the orphan, and the and the and the foreigner, the oppressed, the poor. See, the issues before us have nothing to do with citizenship. It has nothing to do with welfare. It has nothing to do with job security or anything like that. All the things that they say that they're... I mean, I'm sorry, but these guys aren't coming to steal jobs. It's hard to find people who want to work in some of the fields that I, and the things that I do. This is an issue of God's people loving their neighbor, their brothers and sisters as themselves. We love God... In word and talk, but not deed and truth. So this is, remember I told you we're going to come back to this, this aspect of, of if someone doesn't love their brother, he is not, he doesn't have, he doesn't buy, he doesn't have God in him. Basically, he does not have a relationship. He is not born of him. Three, and this is the final thing we're finishing up. So what does disobedience here tell us about those who don't heed the parable? That don't listen to the parable of the Good Samaritan. What is disobedience regarding this parable? What does it tell us? I'm going to read what Jesus said in Matthew. I like Jesus' words. Did you get it? I like Jesus' words here because it don't have to be my words. It's not my condemnation. He gives it for us. He says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. Y'all remember I've read this to you recently. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was, what? Well, I want you all to read this with me. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we do these things? It's important to see this. Lord, when? And he says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. All right. 
to be great because everyone wants to be applauded by the Lord. Everyone wants the Lord to one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. But they don't want to do the very works. What does he go on to say? He looks to those on his left, the goats on the left. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no, no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, Lord when would do this to you? He said, when you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So I'll just say this. This is my, this is my, my place, uh, my stance. I don't care how many times or where you placed your de- salvation date in the Bible when someone was baptized and they gave their life to Jesus. If you will not abide by His commands and His love for His people, His love for His creation, love for your brothers and sisters, regardless of whether they're pagan or not, whether they're a homosexual or not. You're not talking about going along with the sin. We're saying, I love God's creation enough. I will treat them and obey Him, obey the commands He's given me for them. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is determined by God. The people of God prove we belong to Him by our love for one another. We prove we belong to Him by how we care for those He places in our path. Whether we want... Well, I shouldn't say that, should I? Whether someone thinks or wants them or not. It's not about that. If we disobey His command, He says you're either a sheep or... Or you're a goat. Either you do this to the least of one of these, or you don't. If you do, you if you do, you belong to me. If you don't, so therefore the people that I know that have a murderous heart toward these that are below the border, who are seeking to destroy life, for those, including our government who is willing to put people in jail for feeding the homeless and giving them drink, these these migrants. I say if it's in your ability to do, there's a time we respond to the government or the leaders of the day and say, tell me whether it's right to obey you or Christ. Which is right, to obey you or God. We are commanded to do these things. And I don't believe that we have if we would stop offering as a country, we would at the country would stop trying to be the be God. If our nation, our government would stop trying to fulfill all the things that God's church is supposed to fill, fulfill. And his people would rise up 
and stop waiting for the nanny to take care of everything, but to do it themselves and be obedient to Christ, that they actually would love in deed, in action and truth. You wouldn't be worried about someone coming across the border. If you truly believe that God is sovereign and all-powerful and all things are in His control and under His hands, and no one's going to destroy life, take life, ruin life, apart from His will, you don't worry about terrorists. Why? Because if God chooses that your life is over, your life's over. Right? That day, He's determined the day is what Scripture tells us. I don't know what that day is. So what do we do? We enjoy life, love God, love His commands, and fulfill them. Daily. And if God decides tomorrow is my last day on this earth, at least I've lived a full life that I can be proud of. And I also don't have to be worried about Him separating me out and being on the wrong side. Those who love God Fulfill his commands. They don't, they don't sit by while people suffer. They don't oppose those who are suffering. You know what? So what if someone comes in lying about why they're coming? Who knows the truth? God. And God will make that right in the end. I'm not worried about zero tolerance policies from our government, our state, or anywhere else. I'm not worried about whether or not people are legal or illegal that work with me. Because I love God and I love His people. I love His creation. And if I'm going to stand and say... I am for life in the womb and no one should be destroyed. I'm also going to stand and say, I'm for life of those who are widows, orphans, and foreigners, poor. By the way, almost every abolitionist against abortion, you know what they, they call the, the child in the womb that's going to be murdered? They call it a orphan. And some of them are some of the most opposed to the immigrant. It's interesting how hypocritical we can be so quickly. The question is, where do you fit in the good, this parable of this Good Samaritan? And that determines everything. I don't have to determine it for you. When we go around people and you hear people talk about things, they're placing themselves in the position of one of these places, one of these five people of the Good Samaritan. And you need to identify that and how we respond to them. So let's pray that we can be used mightily as His church and pray that if someone hears this, that they can be, their lives would be changed, that the Holy Spirit would move in them mightily, that they would obey God and not man. Not worry about the nation, but worry about God's kingdom first and foremost. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can open it. Lord, I, I, I'm not here to persuade, in my opinion, Lord, I, I pray that you're, I, I believe that by your Holy Spirit, 
you can change lives and you can change hearts and minds. And Lord, I, I expect that you will do the work that you would have. Lord, I always believe if it's of you, that there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. Lord, as I look at these situations, Lord, I, I, I think of so often that we've been, we've been so selfish to not go to the nations. That, Lord God, that once again, that you're bringing the nations to us. We don't go and we don't care and teach and care for the poor, but, Lord God, so the poor are coming to us. How we respond to that depends on where we end up, in your kingdom or in eternal damnation. I don't mind a person who believes in works salvation, but I believe that we are, we are not saved by works, but we are saved to works. We are saved to more than talk. We are saved to action. Lord, we are called uh, to be your servants. And Lord God, your ministers, you are called to be your missionaries, your ambassadors to this world. And Lord God, one way or another, if we claim the name of Christ, you're going to find a way to make sure we are. And if we don't, if we're not, well, God, I don't know how we could belong to you. And I don't know what Paul said. I don't know how, the, I don't know how in First John, I should say, how it says how God abides in that individual. Lord, I pray that you change hearts and our, our perspective to have the mind of Christ and the perspective that you've given for us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.